will get you to the right space. And if you'd like to mail it in, uh, we have some offering envelopes that we've set out on the uh, front under the drive through in a small mailbox, and that is the perfect way that uh, you can come by, grab one of those envelopes. They're self-addressed and stamped. Uh, you can put your offering in that and send it to the church. But I just wanted to take a minute and say thank you so much. Uh, without you and your generosity, we would not be able to continue to do what God has called us to do. And especially in a difficult time like this, um, we are trying extra hard to reach the community, to love on people because God has called us to love like Jesus, so lives are changed. I hope you have a blessed day and an awesome week. God bless. Well, I hope that everybody is uh, doing good today and uh, that you're having a, a good time at church. And uh, we have plenty of time today because we all can wait a little longer to go watch the Cowboys lose. Um, they, they play a later game today, so I'm not too concerned with getting out early. Isn't it a, isn't it a strange sports season. If you're like me and, and, you, and you like the sports and all the things, it's just weird because they're playing basketball in a bubble. Didn't even know what that meant um, for a while. Uh, playing basketball in a bubble and playing uh, football with empty stadiums. And it's just been, uh, you know, hockey was strange and the stars lost. And then, you know, it's just been, it's been a weird, wonky season. But uh, a friend of mine used to say, uh, it is what it is. And if I said, well, I don't like that, he'd say, well, it's not what it's not. <laughs> so uh, change that up if you want. Anyway, it's good to see all you guys today. I, I will say one thing that uh, has remained constant for us, at least in this time, is the, and for now it's, it's constant, is our kids' sports. I was telling Teresa the other day, I miss quarantine. Because during quarantine, we were all just kind of, um, you know, not going every which way, and uh, now we're back to that. Girls are in volleyball, Caden's in football, and, uh, and all that's going on. So anyway, so here we go again. We're working through this uh, rather, for me, it's been a rather difficult, challenging, I should say, series of messages called Love is a Verb. Uh, we began uh, talking through the summer. Jesus has taught us that uh, love cannot stay with us. Because Jesus says that uh, as the Father has loved him, so he loves us and we love others. He's called us to that in John 13, 34. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. In other words, um, it's not something that we receive his love and then it just stays with us. It is our job, our duty to give that love to other people. And uh, how can we love others then? It's by our love becoming an action. And that's where I um, came up with this idea, love is a verb. Still haven't got that old DC Talk song in here, but uh, someday, someday we will. We've based this series on uh, Isaiah 117. Learn to do good, seek justice, rescue the oppressed, defend the orphan, and plead for the widow. There's a lot to unpack there. In fact, I've been working through rescue the oppressed it's interesting. We're not going to talk about that today, but I will say come back next week. We're going to be talking about that a little bit. What does that mean to rescue the oppressed? What, what is God saying to us through the prophet Isaiah? It's going to, that's going to be a good one. Um, but we, we did start out talking about biblical justice. Um, it seems that society has, has taken the word justice and, and um, really taken over our understanding of what justice is. 
God taught the Hebrews in, in old, you know, before Jesus, he taught the Hebrews that justice is multifaceted. Um, it didn't mean exactly what we think it means. We have this idea of justice as somebody did wrong and um, they must be punished. We were talking about that this morning in our small group, the Sunday school, that um, somebody does something wrong and we want them to be punished. And we use the example of a, uh, maybe somebody's daughter getting kidnapped and you think, um, okay, that person deserves their due reward, right? They did something wrong. They have justice coming. But that's not, when God talked, spoke to the, the Hebrews, and I, I really believe that it's in our best interest to try to dig into what God said and what Jesus said and, and how they intended it in the original Hebrew and the original Greek. Their society, their culture was different from us. So we have to, um, as part of our study, look at what, what did they mean? What were they trying to say? Um, God teaches them that it's multifaceted. In large part, uh, biblical justice is given its understanding by two Hebrew words, uh, mishpat and sidaka. And um, we, if you want to learn more about those things, go back. We have a podcast, by the way. You can download uh, every week. Just set it up. It's, uh, you can find it on the website or uh, Facebook, and it'll, you can go through those teachings. And it's pretty cool that you can just you know, download the podcast, listen to it while you're going about your business. But uh, this idea of justice and those two words, mishpat and sidaka, these uh, correspond to what we might call rectifying justice and primary justice. Uh, mishpat is rectifying justice. It means punishing wrongdoers, which we get, but also caring for the victims of unjust treatment. Uh, in other words, that's where we get into rescuing the oppressed. And in some way, we talked about that a little bit uh, in regards to the Rescue Hill uh, Compassionate Ministry Center that we also have a partnership with to rescue those who are caught in human trafficking. And um, that was several weeks ago. That actually is what kicked this whole thing off. So rectifying justice means punishing wrongdoers and caring for victims of unjust treatment. God told the Hebrews that their job as his followers was to bring justice, to rectify what was going on with them. In other words, to rescue them out of the life that they had been stuck in or what was going on with them. And then the other word, Sidaka, is, um, is primarily about being in a right relationship with God. And the righteous life that results from that is extremely social. Extremely social. That's primary justice because if primary justice was something that we truly embraced, that the world embraced, it would do away with the need for rectifying justice because we would all, as we lived in a right relationship with God, would, that would translate into a right relationship with everybody around us. Last week, we turned our attention to true religion. Just a quick recap as I'm going through this. We're going to get into today. Um, James 1.26 and 27 says, If anyone thinks they are religious and do not bridle their tongues but, de but deceive their hearts, their religion is worthless. Religion that is uh, pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Again, you got to go back into what religion meant for them. The word translated as religion in, in James is, is the Greek word, threskos, threskos. And that word religion, the word religion for us conjures up this idea of following the rules, of doing our religious duty, the, the things that we believe God has called us to. And when we get into this mode we have to be careful about of that means we come to church and, and we 
you know, attend a, a small group or a Sunday school and we bring our kids and make sure they go. Like we have this, this set of rules. But what it means in the Greek, what James was trying to say is, it just doesn't carry over translation, be devout or pious, um, to be devoted to God. So if you were truly religious, it is a devotion to God. That's what James was getting at. So true religion then, true devotion to God, what God is after is caring for widows and orphans. And it's interesting that he used widows and orphans. Why would he use widows and orphans? Because there are other, you know, groups in our society. Because, and this is the, this is the deal, because if we help them, probably we will not be repaid. Helping them is truly generous. It is something that comes out of a heart of Christ, and they're not going to pay me back. So if I'm giving to them, then I know my heart is pure. This is the Christian call to help those who can't help themselves, to help the disenchanted, to help the overlooked, to help the tossed out people in our society. And that is the kingdom of God. So you can begin to circle that around where Jesus says, when you pray in Matthew, remember this, when you pray, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is praying this for us, the kingdom of God. What does it look like? It looks like us taking care of the poor and the disenchanted and, and the disenfranchised and the widows and the orphans and the marginalized. And so Jesus is saying, when we pray, that should be our prayer. Our Father in heaven, let what happens up there happen down here. Let it happen in me. In fact, let me be the one who brings that. Man, we also, okay, last, last, last little, this is, it's all so good, you know? I can't re-preach it. All right. We also learn that this help has to be more than just words, more than just saying, oh, okay, let me pray for you. Oh, well, I, I hope that you do better. I'm going to pray for you. I wish you well. James 2.16 says, if one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? I got to caution you about James. If you start to get into James, you're going to be convicted because James is full of that kind of stuff. What good is it? And he goes on to say, because faith without works is dead. We're going to dig into that in a minute. Faith without works is dead. Man, quite the introduction, right? Well, today I want to talk about what the Bible has to say about taking care of the poor. The poor, those who are hungry, those who need clothes, those who need shelter, the homeless. What does the Bible say about that? Um, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that we, people here, in fact, people in general, would say that this is a, a principle we can agree with. We would say as a Christian, it's our duty to make sure the poor is taken care of. We don't doubt that. Um, to help with that, and I, so I don't need to, I'm not going to preach that. I'm going to start from that point. We believe that we should take care of the poor. Uh, Dr. Howard Culberson was a uh, professor at uh, Southern Nazarene University, and uh, he d compiled a list of scriptures that all have to do with the poor. I think it's every scripture, Old and New Testament, um, and I have those available. They're actually on a, one of the little stands back here. If you'd like to get one of those papers, I would actually encourage you to read through it. It's, it's immense, um, and it shows our call as followers of God and of Christ to take care of the poor. But just how important is it? 
what really is our part in it? So today we're going to look at Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. And um, a scripture probably many of you know, and if you want to follow along today's notes, you can download the church's app, uh, the Lantana Church app. Just uh, go to the app store um, and search that up, or you can uh, text the word. Again, this texting is awesome, isn't it? Text the words uh, Lantana app, two words, to 77977. And you can get the notes from there. Uh, also, the Bible app. They're in the Bible app. Matthew chapter 25. All right, it's a little bit lengthy, so stay with me. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When do we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They will answer, Lord. When did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but righteous to eternal life. <laughs> As I'm reading this, I wonder, is this a test? <laughs> like, you know, what's, what's going on here? Um, Morgan's always talking about my, my eighth grader. She's always talking about her, her grades, and um, probably every teacher, every school is different. I don't know if this is a new phenomenon. This is not the way my teacher's graded, but um, every grade is, a, um, is weighted differently, and there are major grades and minor grades. The major grades are worth 80% of the class, for, uh, of the grade for that grading period, and the minor grades are worth 20%, which to me, seems unfair because, you know, if you do every homework assignment and every project that comes due and uh, you attend every class, that makes up 20% of your grade. So theoretically, you could skip every homework assignment and every class and every whatever and do make hundreds in all your major grades and get an 80% in the class, right? Um, it's, it's interesting that, that that's the way some of the weight of the grades, but this is what this scripture feels like to me. It's a major grade in our life assignment. There's, there's lots of other things, but this is a major grade. And, and in here, so you know kind of what's going on, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. 
It's in this place. This is right before uh, what we call the Passion of the Christ. It's right before um, he is arrested and suffers, goes through all of that agony and torment, is crucified. This, this is right before that. So anytime Jesus is speaking to his disciples in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right before he is to go away, I always pay special attention to these places. Not that I don't pay attention to the rest of it, but you figure that right before he goes away, this is what's going to be like the most, what is the most important things that I can teach in this moment? And, and this, is, this is what uh, he does there. He describes the final judgment when the Son of Man, who is Jesus, is sitting on his throne of glory. Now, take just a minute and imagine what that might look like. Jesus, at the end of time, is sitting on his throne. It's, it's got to be this um, magnificent place. Think about Revelation when it describes God's throne and God sitting there and, and there's uh, beings flying around that they look strange and they're singing, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And he's, he's, they're surrounded by other thrones. And the scripture says that sitting on his throne and surrounded by a sea of glass as clear as crystal. And there's lightning and there's thunder. So that's God's throne. Well, we know Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God. <laughs> and we approach, and this, this really changes the way I think about God when I pray. Because in my mind, I imagine God like that. Try not to be so cavalier with my approach of that guy. <laughs> Jesus is sitting right next to him. And at the end of time, we've got to approach him. And he's going to say, this is, this is the picture Jesus is setting up. In this final test, in this final criteria of judgment, whether or not someone will get into heaven is if they have acted out of love and cared for the needy. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Did you give them a drink? Did you feed them? Did you welcome them in your home and clothe them? Did you take care of the sick person? Have you done these things? And it's interesting to note that Jesus doesn't go into a, a theological discourse, uh, discourse of of grace and, and mercy and justification and faith. He doesn't talk about um, forgiveness of sins and, you know, all of these things. I'll say, I know and you know we're saved by grace through faith. I wouldn't suggest otherwise. But like James says, it, faith without works is dead. So we're saved by grace through faith. We believe in that. But James says if we don't act our faith out, if we're not doing these things, if there's no works behind our faith, then probably our faith isn't even real. Because we say we believe, but we're not acting our belief. And you know, good intentions don't matter. Good intentions don't matter. Only actions matter. And we as as humans who are seeking justice for ourselves, we'll say, well, well, we did all of our homework and we did all of our study and, and we read the Bible and, and we prayed for the poor. We did all of our minor assignments. But what if we do projects like host a fellowship for your Sunday school class or your home group? Or what if we attend every church meeting or 
Surely, surely that counts for something, right? In this passage, it seems like all of those things are part of our minor grade, part of the little bit. Yeah, they, they count for something, but here, Jesus teaches that what will count in the final judgment, what is important are our deeds of, of love and mercy. That's the major grade. How important is it? Jesus says right here, truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Jesus has made it clear, this is Jesus' words, that what matters most is taking care of the needy. I don't know about you, but that people who are in need, that's what's important. That in the final judgment is what Jesus decides the sheep from the goats. And in this phrase, I don't think goat means greatest of all time. <laughs> in, this, in, this, in this scenario, Jesus is going to say, oh, you went to church, great. Oh, you were in a, in a home group or a Sunday school class. Oh, that's fantastic. You had fellowships. That's great. You read your Bible. and I, Yeah, you talked. I remember we, we talked together. You prayed. Good. How about the needy? Oh, man. I got to tell you, as I was, this, is, this whole series has got me messed up because I feel like I've done great at all the minor assignments. I'm doing a good job, man. God, we talk, you know, we're close. Am I taking care of the needy, though? It just, it, it wrenches my heart. So, so, so what do we do about it? I don't think we're going to argue the importance now. We, in the beginning, we wouldn't argue if we should or shouldn't. Yes. I think now, after looking at this, we're not going to argue the importance of it. It's very important. I think where we as Christians as followers of Jesus, as believers in God, run into problems is how we handle it. As I was preparing for this, I, was, I just didn't know exactly where to go with this because I was like, God, we all agree, we need to do it. And he was like, yeah, but how do we handle it? And that's, I want to dig in just a little bit into how the feeding and, and the, the hungry and the, the clothing, how does that happen? And why should we care? Whose job is it anyway? One of the things we might be tempted to think is just let the government take care of it, right? I mean, I pay taxes. <laughs> My taxes, in some part, go to help those who need the help. So I've done my part. We can't let the government handle it. Like, that, as Christians, that's, that's one of the things. In fact, I heard somebody say, well, I pay taxes. They no joke, literally, I pay taxes, that's good. And if you thought that, I, listen, I don't want to bash, I'm just saying, that's not what, that's, we don't say to Jesus, hey, we pay taxes, it's good, right? He's going to say, how did you handle it? What did you do? What's going on? You know, and don't get me wrong, voting is important, and we should all vote. And the voting, it's coming up. Please, everybody, go vote. And when I vote, I want to vote for somebody who's going to help with the poor. Like, that's, that's what I want. 
But it's not the politician's job, and it's not our government's job to do what Christ has called us as his followers to do. And then I think the other temptation for us is to think it's the church's responsibility. I mean, we give tithes and offerings, right? Let me, let me be the first to say that as pastor of this church, it is of utmost importance to me. I am committed to feeding the hungry and taking care of the poor. I'm committed to that. Your church board and leaders are committed to feeding the hungry and taking care of the board. But let me stop short and say it's not the church's, as an organization, capital C, it's not the church's responsibility to do your Christian duty. You remember some time ago we talked about the difference between Again, this gets into language, and the word kirka comes from German. Somehow, when Jesus said, um, excuse me, when Paul talked about the church, the word he used was ecclesia, which means gathering, a gathering of people with a common interest or purpose. He used the word ecclesia. Somehow that got translated from the German word kirka, church, which is more of an organization. So it's done a disservice to Christians forever because our idea of church is as an organization. But as a group of people with a common purpose, yes, it is our responsibility. But don't think that just because the church helps the poor, capital C organization, that it relieves you of your Christian duty to help with the needy. Don't, we can't get caught in that trap. Uh, Dr. Culbertson the guy I was telling you about, professor of religion at SNU, he had a quote in a, in a writing um, that I, I read by Peter Morin. And this is, this is what it says. In the first centuries of Christianity, the poor were fed, clothed, and sheltered at a personal sacrifice. And the pagans said about the Christians, see how they loved each other. Today, the poor are fed, clothed, and sheltered by the politicians at the expense of the taxpayers. And because the poor are no longer fed, clothed, and sheltered at a personal sacrifice, but at the expense of the taxpayers, pagans say about Christians, see how they pass the buck. We don't want to pass the buck. We want to be involved. We want to do it. And, and part of what I want to talk to you today about is the church as, as an organization. We want to provide opportunities. So there's not a, uh, please don't under, think that this is a doom and gloom. We're all... Uh, in trouble because, listen, there's a, there's a lot too, trying to, especially in our society, trying to find the people that need the help. And Heather and I have had many conversations about this. How do we, we want to help. How do we help? And as an organization, that's where the church helps to facilitate us doing that. So you might be asking, what can I do about it? Listen, we are a rich country. All right, we're, let's look at some numbers here. Um, the United States is around... I was thinking it was 6%. Matter of fact, that was the statistic I looked. I did some more digging. And uh, it's actually, we're about 4.5% of the world's population, okay? 4.5% of the wor entire world's population is uh, Americans. Uh, 338 million, I think, is what we are out of nearly, or right around 7 billion. So the, the, the earth has a large population. Americans are such a small part of it. But we use 40% of the world's resources, we're talking about energy and food and those things. Uh, so 4.5% use about 40% of the, 
of its resources. In the Bible, when God blesses somebody, it's assumed that they are going to bless somebody else. That's one of the reasons. Um, it's, it's just out of one of the reasons the church is a uh, not the church, but the United States is is the most giving country because we're blessed and 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 the United States just has this as a um, part of our core is is to help others. That's they give money to every country. It's assumed in the Bible that those who are blessed will bless bless others. It, Jesus comes in First Timothy six seventeen. He says. Um, to those who are rich, to not be arrogant or to put your hope in wealth. So we assume that when they're talking about wealthy people, that's not us because we're not wealthy, right? None of us here. Nobody here is, is wealthy. We would all say that. But, but let's get into that. I have a car. Only 8% of the world's population has a car. You know, not, and, and if you want to get into multiple cars, the percentage goes even way, way, way down. 8% of the world's population has a car. That means 92% of people see you driving your car, whatever it is. However old it is, however ugly it is, they see you driving your car and they say, rich. You have access to clean drinking water? About 1 billion people on this planet don't have access to clean drinking water. They would see you go to your sink, turn the tap on, put some water in a cup, and they would think, must be nice. Have you eaten today? Or will you eat? Maybe some of you haven't eaten yet. Somewhere around 800 million people in the, United, in the world are not going to eat today. 300 million of those are kids. How much money you have on you? I mean, I don't know if you, um, I was thinking about this earlier as I was preparing. I have, I have $8. I have $8 in my billfold there. I can't keep money there because everybody in my family keeps taking it. <laughs> it seems like I'm the only one who believes in cash. <laughs> they all want it, but they don't go get it. You know what I mean? Anyway. Around 1 billion people in the world live on less than $1 a day. I have $8. Somebody's going to look at me with $8 in my pocket and say, oh man, he must be rich. Experts say that in order to provide water, basic health, and nutrition to everyone in the world, they estimate it would take about $20 billion. It's a lot of money. But that's the same amount of money Americans spend on ice cream every year. <laughs> so when we sit around and we say, what can I do about it? Every one of us can do something. I'm not saying that it's your responsibility to come up with $20 billion to take care of the whole world. But I am saying that Jesus calls us to do something. What is that something? I don't know. What can you do? So I don't think that any of us are really going to argue the importance of Christians taking care of the poor. We believe that the hungry should have food. We believe that the homeless should 
have a place to sleep. And we believe that everyone should have clothes. Where I think we need to be careful is in expecting others to do it for us. I think, I think that's the struggle that we have. We live in the wealthiest country that has ever existed. So no matter our position, we have the resources to help somehow. And I want you to know, the church is committed to helping us find ways and places to get involved, to help the poor, to help the marginalized, to help the disenchanted and the disenfranchised. We want to do that. And we have the Uplift Food Ministry. You want to get involved in feeding those who are hungry, and uh, th then that's great. Then, then there's a way for you to do that. We have the Coats for Cactus we're doing right now. You want to help clothe those who need help, especially kids, uh, up in the panhandle where it gets so cold? then we have a way for you to do that. You want to help with those who uh, have a struggle with uh, human trafficking, who have been caught in, in sex trafficking and in uh, slave labor and all those things, then we have a way that you can help with that through Rescue Hill Ministries. We want to provide ways. And right now I'm working with a, um, an organization trying to present a, a way for us to be involved in uh, the orphans and the disenchanted and disenfranchised children. Like, that should be coming soon. I'm, I just want us as a Christian body, as the ecclesia of Christ, as a gathering of people with a similar idea or purpose, I want us to be able to get involved in that and help where we can. All I'm going to say is this. And I, there's, it's not a big altar call time. It's not a big prayer time because however God's speaking to you right now, I just want to say get involved. Whatever it is for you, get involved. Don't let somebody just pass you by. Get involved because one day Jesus is going to say, come you who are blessed by my Father and take your inheritance. he'll say, yeah, I saw that you had a, a time of prayer and I saw that you were at church and I saw that you were in a home group or a small group, Sunday school. I saw that you were, but I also saw that you took care of the needy. You cared for the widows and the orphans. You cared for the children that didn't have parents. You cared for the people who didn't have clothes. Welcome. Collect your inheritance. Wouldn't that be an awesome day? so exciting. And that's what I want for all of you. So let's not get caught in the trap of somebody else will do it or my taxes will pay for it or the church is going to take care of it for me. This isn't something that we can just put off. Because God has called us to Mishpat to do justice for those who can't do for themselves. Let's pray. God, just thank you, Jesus. Really, that's, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for bringing things like this to our attention. Thank you for living your kingdom so that one day we would know what it looks like to take your kingdom with us. So that everywhere we go, we're taking the kingdom of God. Everywhere that we go, we're looking for the poor and the, and the marginalized and the, the disenchanted and, 
and, and we're helping to bring them in. We welcome them in. We, we help where we can, God. We, so where do we go from here? Show us, Father. It's not that we, we don't see poor people all the time everywhere we go. So show us ways we can get involved. It is a disadvantage living in a country like this where we have so much. But there are the poor among us. There are the needy among us. There are orphans and fatherless among us. There are widows among us. So we want to do our Christian duty, which you've called us to. So help us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we close this morning, as we close this morning, um, we're going to sing again, holy, there's no one like you. There's none beside you. So open up my eyes and wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. And that's what we're talking about this morning. This is more than just a checklist. When we read Isaiah 1:17, learn to do good, seek justice, help the oppressed, defend the cause of the orphans, and fight for the rights of widows, we're not looking at a checklist. This is a change of heart that happens when we are so full of the Spirit, that we are so led by the Spirit, that when we look at people around us, we look at them and we can't help but love them. We can't help but see their needs and do everything we can to fulfill them. That is the God that we serve, a God so full of love that he fills us with that and allows us to outpour it onto the people who don't experience that the way that we do this morning. So I would just ask you, as we lift this up, make this your prayer. Dwell on these words, because this is so much more than just a simple task of a checkbox. This is a heart change, so dwell on that. Let's lift this up together.
week, make this your prayer. Do something about this. Go in his grace and peace this week. Just want to say thank you for joining us online. We hope you have a great day and a blessed week and that you continue to love like Jesus so lives are changed.